This is the Extra Innings Podcast. We're going to Extra Innings. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking down all the latest with the blue. Hosted by Dodger insider and award-winning reporter. You have one for most entertaining talk show host to listen to while on the way to work. David Vassay. Welcome to episode two of the Extra Innings Podcast presented by Corona Extra. Find the fine life. Live la vida mas fina. Please drink responsibly Corona Extra Beer. Well, we have a great podcast episode two for you of Extra Innings. In case you were expecting Brad Paisley, it's a long story. None none of it is Brad's fault. We will try to connect with him on another episode, but... We have Andre Ethier, and we also have one of the best pitching prospects in the Dodger organization, Ryan Pepio, on this week's podcast. So a really fun episode of Extra Innings coming your way. But first, the leadoff spot. Batting leadoff, host of the Extra Innings podcast, David Vassay. All right, so as we tape this podcast, episode two, the Dodgers are in Oakland, and Cody Bellinger had to leave the game, the second game of the three-game series, because in the ninth inning of that second game, he beat out an infield single, but was stepped on by 6'1", 242-pounder J.B. Wildekin, A's relief pitcher, and we thought it was just him being spiked, And then things kind of got a little confusing. Here's what Dave Roberts said after that night's game about Cody's injury. Cody got cleated um, when he uh, legged up that single. Um, So he got cleated on the back lower part of his calf. Um, But it's just more sore. Um, It's not an ankle thing. Um, So he made a comment that the... uh, ice uh, that he was getting hurts worse than the cleat marks but uh, so he's kind of with CT the day-to-day and we'll see we'll know more tomorrow morning all right so the next day the Dodgers beat the A's in game two of the series Cody's injury by the way the first game of the series I was uh, I misspoke right there but anyway the second game of the series no Cody Bellinger and after the game this is the update from Dave Roberts yeah, what what I do know is that there was no stress fractures. Um, there's still obviously residual soreness, um, so I don't know, you know, what we're going to do as far as IL, no IL. But I think that right now, you know, I think we're in a decent spot. But even with that, I just don't know when the return will be. Huh? I I mean, I I don't understand how it went from being spiked to all of a sudden no stress fracture. And we're talking about an injured list situation. It obviously was more than being spiked. I mean, he had a 242-pound pitcher running full steam and stepping on his left ankle. And I'll tell you this. One thing that I will always remember the rest of my career and life was the advice Scott Van Slyke gave me in spring training one year when Justin Turner and Adrian Gonzalez were firing me baseballs and I was trying to catch them, he told me simply, trust your eyes. So I'm going to trust my eyes, and if you go back and watch that play, it wasn't his calf. It was his ankle. Think about that. It's common sense. 
a pitcher is not going to step on Cody Bellinger's calf as they're trying to to make a run for first base. So obviously the pitcher stepped on his ankle or his Achilles where his ankle uh, meets the heel of his foot and it was more than a spike. It was maybe twisted his ankle, maybe landed on his ankle. So I just don't get it. Just be honest with the information. Look, Dave Roberts is somewhat of the messenger. He's only allowed to say what the organization wants him to say about a player's injury. But give us a little credit. Those were two very conflicting explanations about the injury. So as you're listening to this, I don't know if Cody goes on the injured list or not, but obviously it was more than just being spiked. Now, the Dodgers are getting their rings in the first home game of the season against the Washington Nationals. The Washington Nationals, by the way, it was not a foregone conclusion that they were going to make it to Los Angeles. Their first series of the season was canceled or postponed against the Mets because multiple Nationals came up positive for COVID-19 and others were part of the contact tracing procedure. And I would say that it would have really stunk if the Dodgers could not have had their ring ceremony because the Nationals could not make it out to Los Angeles. And Dave Roberts even admitted that. He admitted as much that the Dodgers had had some internal discussions about the fact that the Nationals may not have been able to come out to Los Angeles to play that series. And who knows what the Dodgers would have done if the Nationals could not have made the trip to Los Angeles and spoiled their ring ceremony the day that they get their rings. And look, the Nationals were a victim of COVID-19 baseball life last year. They had no fans in the stands to celebrate their world championship. But for the Dodgers, think about this. So many guys had waited and had a lot of heartbreak to win the World Series last year. They couldn't celebrate with the champagne like you see all these other teams. They couldn't have a parade. And now they were staring at the reality that they may not be able to have a ring ceremony the day it was scheduled after starting the season on the road the first seven games of the year. That's why I felt like Major League Baseball was kind of teasing the Dodgers. Why not just have these guys start the season at home, let them have their day, and be on with it? But thankfully, thankfully, the Nationals will make it out to Los Angeles, and the Dodgers will get their World Series rings, and Clayton Kershaw still very emotional about winning his first ever World Series championship. Yeah, it's uh, it's been marked on the calendar for a while now. I'm excited. Um, I'm excited that we're going to have a few fans there, first of all. I mean, I think that'll be really cool. Um, it's kind of the first time that we've all been together with um, fans to get to celebrate um, last year. So, um I'm very excited about it. Um, and, you know, we don't want to look too far into the past. Obviously, we got to play. We got to win. But um, Friday is going to be really special for me um, for a lot of different reasons. Um, and it's just finally get to see that ring. It'll be pretty special. You know, I think you mentioned this before, but, uh, you know, just kind of this this feel that, you know, how many people out there wanted, wanted you know, this especially for you. Um, you know, what yeah. does it kind of mean to be able to kind of celebrate again, you know, with, with with all those fans, you know, given that. Yeah, it's, uh, 
it, it's um, I don't know the right word. Uh, humbling might not be the right word, but it's just a it's just a grateful feeling, I think, to know that so many people um, care about me in that way, that it's uh, they wanted me to win so bad. And maybe something that I took for granted a little bit, realizing how much it impacted um, the people around me and uh, especially my wife. I think she's going to be pretty excited, too. So um, but but just seeing teammates get to celebrate with them, get to see the rings, get to do all those things. It's uh, it's going to be a special day for sure. Wow. I got emotional just listening to that answer. You know, that's the first time that, you know, I, it really hit me that he finally won. And, you know, just to hear how appreciative he is of winning the World Series and appreciative of how much people are happy for him, it, it makes you feel good. And I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be corny here, uh, but Clayton Kershaw, I've had a chance to watch him every day during the baseball season. And for me to be there at the stadium in between starts and to see how much work he puts in for every fifth day and how much he cares, that's why I'm happy for him because I know how much he pours into every start and how much he cares. So for me, that's why I'm emotional after hearing what he just said right there and I'm sorry. I know so many of you are very quick to just throw dirt on his career at one bad start or one subpar start like on opening day, which, by the way, was not that bad. That's why I continue to say his career is far from over and don't bet against Kershaw. He is going to find a way and he may not have his best stuff on certain nights. His back may be a little stiff certain nights, certain games, but he will find a way. Trust me. And I couldn't be happier for him. I couldn't be happier for a lot of guys on that team, but especially him because of how much work he puts in. And, you know, I'm, how many guys can say that Clayton Kershaw invited them on the field to run his sprints in between starts? This guy can. We were at Wrigley Field. I was in my suit after doing a hit for MLB Network. It was a day game. And he, he just waved me out to the field. He's all, let's go challenged me to run those sprints with him so I ran them and uh, Alana Rizzo actually captured it on her IG story she like it was a backhanded compliment but at least she captured it and I could show my kids that one day but that was just an example of the work that he puts in and yeah I, I, I it just it's it's really awesome that he finally won and I I can't wait to see his emotions on ring day and if you have a chance I would save it and replay it and keep it with you every time you want to doubt Clayton Kershaw. My favorite. Uh, thank you. I'm glad to see you're not wearing khakis. Your favorite. And not everyone holds themselves to a high physical standard around here, but... Uh, Probably not Vasse's favorite. I know no one listens to your show, so... <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Just kidding. DB is joined by Andre Ethier. Well, episode two with Andre Ethier, and for him to get here this time was a little bit more challenging than last week. And Andre, uh, the Dodgers uh, have multiple day games, and I know day games were a challenge for every player, but uh, your new life as a dad sometimes can be just as challenging as waking up for a day game. Hey, I, I would gladly welcome a day game this morning. Um Probably wake up a little bit later than I had to for school. But, yes, start for getting on here late and uh, making you guys hold up there. Uh, you know, it was blue shirt day 
uh, I would like to say Dodger Day at school, but it was Blue Shirt Day for uh, Autism Awareness at school. And we happened to forget that, me and uh, my wife, and put our kids in non-blue shirts. And Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Show- it wasn't you and your wife. It was you. Well, yes, and I will. I will tell you, I am. I am the. I am on morning duty, so it's my my duty to get the kids dressed for school in the morning. And do that, so I did. Uh, and I and I was reminded by my daughter, my four year old, that it is. I have. I'm supposed to wear a blue shirt last night before bed, and I totally forgot. And we show up to school, and we see a sea of blue walking onto school, and I'm like, oh, hopefully they don't say anything. And sure enough, walk out of campus, and my father looks at me and goes, but, Dad, you forgot my blue shirt. And I'm like, oh, gosh. So call Mom, and she's like, well, I told you last night, so I am uh, spent the last hour driving back and forth, uh, picking out blue shirts out of their closet and driving back and dropping them off to school for them. So uh, it was a wild, fun morning. And, um, yeah, sometimes it's nice to have that early wake-up call for a Dodger uh, day game, even if it's on the East Coast. So, so uh, honestly, this I made, is uh... – I made it, though. This is payback for all those years where you forgot something and you would shout out, Alex, Alex, you forgot something in the clubhouse and your clubhouse manager, the great Alex Torres would have to find it for you. So now you're the clubhouse manager of your house and had to go find that blue shirt for your daughter. I think the clubhouse manager, Alex, gets more respect than I do around my house. So, Because <laughs> um, um, I was just getting evil looks. Uh, from my daughter and, of course, from my wife when I showed back up to the house to pick up the blue shirts and, and you know, being like, well, I, I you know, and then, of course, it's like the, uh, the, you know, all things can go wrong when they do. And, of course, I'm I'm almost running out of gas in my car. So I'm like, okay, am I, I going to make it? I'm going to make it back and forth. Should I stop and get gas? No, it's going to take too long. You know, playing all those things. Um, yeah, so it was a, a fun adventuring morning to get here. And get on the uh, you know the radio with you this morning and it's get a podcast. podcast it's a podcast. We're not on and the radio. A podcast. It's, it's all the same. You know, Sheesh. interweb, interweb, internet. It's all the same. Multimedia platform star Andre Ethier every week with us on the Extra Innings podcast. All right, so it's been a week and there's been a lot of crazy things that happened to the Dodgers at Coors Field. I'm sure you've been part of it. But how does Cody Bellinger get himself into these situations where he's always on the internet and on social media, a cat running onto the field, and he's standing there, and he's in every photo with this wild cat? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we, we've had a few animal things happen there at. Is it still Coors? I don't even know what they call that park now. Still Coors um, Field. Still Coors Field. I know these parks change names every other month or something, <laughs> but – um, yeah, Coors, I mean, I, I, that cat was a scary looking cat right there, but, uh, I, I think over the years we've had so many of these moments, but for some reason, these, these things happen to find, uh, Cody and see come out. I don't know if it's his, uh, energy aura he's putting off, but like I said to him, uh, this off season, when everyone was kind of making, you know, those, uh, things were going out around the internet about how his face looks and yeah. why is his face like that. I go, why does your face look like that? It's just my face, man. It's just the face I have. That's what he, that's what he, that's what he texts me back. And I'm like, come on. I'm like, well, what do you do? And he goes, no, that's just how my face looks. I'm like, all right. I don't know if his face always looks like that. 
Uh, I mean, suppose he does. He was sending me photos of himself when he was a kid. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and he looked exactly like that. So um, I let a little let a little credit to the story that he was telling me. But I mean, if you, I mean, Google it. Look, look, go look at his uh, Little League World Series stuff, and um, you can't tell me the guy was on. Uh, you know, in some spiritual herbs back then when he was in, <laughs> when he was 12 years old. Yeah, you're right. I don't think he was uh, on any spiritual herbs. That's a really nice way to put it. I've never heard anybody say it that way. That's, hey, by the way, it's legal in California. We could talk about THC and CBD and all that. That's all good it's in Cali. Le- it's legal here in Arizona now, too. They voted it through. <laughs> the, 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 the people won. Hey, I was talking earlier about teams hiding injuries. Why wouldn't they just be direct about what really happened to Cody in Oakland when he got stepped on? It, it's not really that difficult. Either he got spiked or he twisted his ankle. Why? You've been on that side of things. Why? Why are teams so protective over what really happened? I, I don't know. I mean, I understand the disclosure side now. You know, there's so many rules with how injuries and what gets reported and how it gets reported. And I think it has to be agreed upon uh, with the player and the team a little bit more of how they're going to report that injury of how it happened, Um, you know, with more emphasis on the players having the rights. And I can remember back in the day, and I can remember the first couple of years coming up, you got hurt, you did this, it would be reported and blasted out immediately. You know, even before you'd be in the training room and someone would be 10 minutes later, you'd have an in-game report of what happened. Now that's kind of held close to the best. You know, they come up with a, maybe a timetable of their return first before they really release what the, you know, prognosis of that entire injury. Um, but I think it's just part of the, you know, cloak and dagger game of, you know, not letting the opponent know, uh, you know, really of how they're going to prepare because that's what, it, I mean, you see it, Dave. How, how late do these lineups come out every day? And it's because, these teams, not only from the from the coaches' side, but from the front office side, are game planning of how they're going to have that game plan for that game. Uh, and so, whatever players available on that roster uh, affects that game plan. So, um, I think you see it. Uh, you see it a ton in hockey, right? Lower leg, lower leg injury or lower lower body injury, and you know they don't really disclose what the full uh, injury is because. Uh, you know, there's so much game planning going on now with these pitching matchups, how they're going to get the lineup out there. So I think that's part of it, in, in, at least in my observation of why they're holding it back. I know you're not going to like this, but I used to talk to Adrian Gonzalez about this when he played, and he felt like it does the player more of a service if he's up front with whatever is hurting him because as you know when you're hurt you don't play as well as you normally would and when you're not playing as well as you normally would everybody starts to criticize you uh, how do you feel about that would are you a guy that feels that maybe players should disclose their injuries so they don't get criticized for not playing well you know what? The criticism is going to come no matter what, whether you're <laughs> injured, playing good, or playing not. It's just a part of the game. It's part of what it is. I mean, it's it's a double edge both sides. No one wants to hear an excuse afterwards, and no one wants to hear an excuse before. Um, so, yeah, disclosing it helps. At least it gives the people and the fans a better understanding of what's going on. But at the same time, the injury, 
if you're out there playing, you have to play through it, which is not being done anymore. Not like it was in the past. You know, there, there's a big emphasis on making sure players are a hundred percent. You know, that's what I've heard uh, reiterated, whether it's conversations with, you know, guys around the team and how they're, you know, the Dodgers to other teams, it's the same way. They don't want players all out on the field, especially beginning of the season, middle of the season, if they can't be a hundred percent, because there's guys that they can get to replace them for a short spell that can go out there and be a hundred percent. They want you to be, you know, as close to a hundred percent as you can for the longest part of the year. So, um, you know, with that being said, there's not many chances now. I'm, I don't believe that they're putting guys out there that they're having to nurse injuries or nurse things uh, because these front offices, these managers have the same frame of mind. We, we can, we have enough depth to have players out there to replace you for a short spurt that can give us that full effort rather than going out there and having you try to nurse or, or, you know, uh, go through a week or two of uh, not feeling your greatest, and put you in a bad slump because of it, put you in a bad, you know, in some space like that. And I think that's something, uh, you know, like Adrian said, maybe that was something in the past that would have been beneficial for how they handle stuff then. But, I mean, you can see, Dave, right, if someone gets a little nicked up, and, and me, it doesn't matter who you are. You could be Mookie Betts, yeah. highest-paid contract on the team, or you could be uh, Zach McKinstry, and if you're banged up or nicked, they're not going to put you out there to start. They're going to give you a day or two to rest and recover, usually, yeah. and, and, and keep judging Look at Cody. Who knows how severe his injury is? We don't know, but he wasn't out there for a couple of games in a row, and he might be on the injury list by the time you're listening to this podcast. Hey, by the way, speaking of Adrian, uh, he's going to make a sort of comeback with a expansion team in the Mexican League. Do you need me to pull some strings for you? Maybe I could get you on the Guadalajara Mariachis. Uh, I, I told you I've been practicing with my trombone, to, but uh, I forgot. <laughs> Trump, trombone isn't a part of the. I need a, I need a new instrument to be a part of the trumpet. But you know that's they're all about the uh, yeah, trumpets. The trumpet. uh, you know what? That's honestly, you know, you first look at you like, what the heck's the guy doing? But you know what? Hey, if I have the urge every morning to want to go out there and do something, but then all of a sudden I, you know, realize it's blue shirt day and I have blue shirt uh, <laughs> club, club, club obligations, and I don't, you know, I and I'd honestly rather be doing that right now. Um, you know, had my great time playing, doing all that. Um, if I, I would be lying to tell you if I was a little jealous of him knowing that he's going to be able to go out and play baseball again and have fun and do that. And I would love to do that myself. Um, but you know, it's just, it, it's not where I'm at and where, where I'm going. And, you know, I wish him and, and hope him all the success. And I know he has bigger aspirations beyond that is to, you know, make his, uh, country's, uh, you know, Olympic team and go represent his country, which is a great thing. And, uh, you know, if there's maybe a window for me to make Team USA, maybe I'd be trying to go out there and make a comeback myself. But uh, I could let I Mike Sosha is. know for you. He's the manager. I could let him know. Oh, he is? Yeah. Well, can I, maybe I can be the clubhouse guy for that team. <laughs> I'll, I'll pull some strings for you. Is it because he's Italian? Yeah, exactly. That's our connection. <laughs> kind of. Hey. It's- it's, it's the only connection you guys have. Exactly. And we love to eat. That's uh, that's about it. <laughs> hey, Andre, speaking of um, the emotional side of baseball, uh, Clayton Kershaw got emotional after his start in Oakland when he was asked about the ring ceremony at Dodger Stadium. And he seems to still have the same feelings that we heard about during the offseason. Um, what do you feel about that ring ceremony? And what do you believe you've seen from Kershaw 
in his first two starts of the season? You know, it's, it's tough not to doubt Clayton when you see, and I'm talking just performance-wise, when you see what he went through or how he performed during spring training, right? Like, we see it and we're like, oh, gosh, I mean, you know, stuff isn't looking great, but you can't deny the competitor and his will to want to get stuff done. And, I mean, even that start in Colorado wasn't that, you know, bad. I mean, it's Colorado. Let's be real here. Like, a, a lot of guys go there with great stuff and get touched up and have bad stuff. And he didn't have really that great of stuff. And he went in there and he pitched a team into a game where it was easily winnable for that offense in that ballpark. And, you know, they just got out, outrun and outgunned in that stadium that day. And then, you know, you see last night where he goes and, I mean, what didn't throw a pitch over 91 probably and uh, just was locating well and, and you know, a few at-bats was well just deceptive out of the zone pitches that looked like strikes. But, I mean, I saw one at bat. I think it was the catcher Murphy there. He might have thrown one strike in the zone, and the rest were chase pitches, and the guy kept swinging at him. So you can see he's out there competing, doing what it takes to to win, and you got to tip your hat to him. Um, you know, we're not seeing the Kershaw that everyone, you know, expects and remembers from the past, but he's going out there finding a way to win. And then on that ring ceremony, um, you can see, like, it, it still means something, and I think it's just that deep breath. I mean, a guy who's accomplished everything he's accomplished, and we've talked about this, Dave, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. You can't deny that. He deserves every bit of that, and to have that one thing hang over his head, you know, not having the success in the postseason, me and you've seen it firsthand, and for him to finally get over the hump, uh, you know, I'm so happy and 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 excited for him to experience what he's going to experience this weekend with that ring ceremony and have his due of what he's doing. Just put, you know, a, a little more icing on that cake that he's already built. Can you explain why not only you as a former teammate and other former teammates were happy for him, but can you explain why players on other teams were so happy for him to finally win the world series? Well, he's a, he's a genuine guy. I mean, you just see it. I mean, someone, uh, that, that what was that whole thing JT was doing on his Instagram? You know the phone thing. Yeah, and I'll call you right, back. That whole yeah, I'll call you back thing. And like someone even put it this way: yeah, all, all those guys did it, for, you know, Taylor Royal. But like Clayton, with all this status, everything you get with Clayton, right? Like what we just said, first ballot Hall of Famer, a generational pitcher. You know, uh, leads the Dodgers in every category you possibly even pitching. You know, almost. You know, is is this like? top of the game and you just see the way he handled that moment like he's just so genuine and honest and pure and like people get to see that and like is he really like that uh you know every day and it's like is Clayton this perfect you know person all the time and it's sad to say he really is like he really is that great of a guy and genuine and you saw the way he reacted with JT like out there with this kid doing something and he has that genuine smile and like hey what's up you know what's going on want to help every time I text him the same way. And that's why he's with that, with opposing players. I think you can see that, uh, that he's that way. And it's not a front. It's not any bit of fakeness to him. Um, and with someone, and you know, as an athlete, as another player, when you've had that much success and you've been that close and you keep coming up short, you can't help but root for uh, for a guy, especially someone who's so great and, and 
genuine. Like, how do you root against something or someone like that? I mean, have you ever rooted against Clayton in any of his time? Have you, Dave? No, never. I get made fun (laughs) of for rooting for him. I get get mocked for believing in him even in 2021. Right? And, hey, I'm as guilty as anyone. As I said, like I just told you, you see his starts in spring training, like, man, this is it. But then you see, like, he – he, he gets the ball and he goes out there and competes and just finds a way and, and, you know, manages to keep, you know, himself going and, and, you know, has a performance like he did last night after, you know, even like he said, even you want to say if it's a shaky one in Colorado, but I mean, it's Colorado and it's a tough place and, and he finds a way to bounce back and, and get back and be rolled into, you know, a, a nice, celebration week in this you know this weekend in Dodger Stadium all right Andre another great appearance by you on this podcast I don't know how I'm going to repay you for agreeing to be on here every week but I'll find a way maybe some golf balls in your new life maybe some blue shirts for the kids uh, or maybe uh, th- that call to social get me as the clubhouse guy <laughs> for the <laughs> all right sounds good I'll make that call <laughs> yeah We'll we'll talk to you next episode next week. All right, I'll make sure next week isn't like green or red shirt there either. Yeah, get it together. There's no Alex Torres for you. You're that guy now. Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 Alex Torres of my house. (laughs) There he goes, Andre Ethier. He is one of a kind and will always be a Dodger forever. This is Dodgers Pipeline. Scouting, the player development, the drafting. A look at the major minor league stories. All right, this is going to be our first Pipeline guest on the podcast, and I'm very pleased to have him on. He's a great young man. A lot of people were raving from what they saw in spring training from him, and he is a college pitcher. He's a Butler Bulldog, was drafted out of uh, Butler in the third round of the 2019 draft, and he holds the strikeout record at Butler, and that is Ryan Pepio. Ryan, thanks a lot for coming on. Appreciate it. No, thank you very much for having me. So you're a Butler Bulldog. That means that you're very much into college basketball. Were you surprised by what you saw in March Madness? Uh, yes, I was. I was. Um, I love seeing some underdog stories. So I love seeing Loyola Chicago make a run. UCLA coming in from the um, first four or, or first four games or two games, the playing games. Yeah, and then making it, making it that, as far as they did to the Final Four. And then, I mean, Gonzaga had a great run, but, I mean, they ran into the buzzsaw of Baylor in that tournament. And, I mean, I watching that game, I was kind of on the edge of my seat, uncomfortable, like, with that defense. I'm glad I was not on the court playing. Did you play basketball in high school? Yeah, I played for a couple of years in high school and then played all growing up. I'm from, I'm from Indiana, so we have to play basketball. Yeah, that is a birthright out there, right? Yes, exactly. So Butler is not a place that I think baseball. We think basketball now after what Brad Stevens built over there. Uh, why did you choose to go to Butler for college baseball? Um, I, I had a checklist of things that I wanted to kind of cross off when I was looking through different schools, um, like pros and cons. And then I wanted somewhere where 
Um, if baseball didn't work out for me, I wanted a strong academic school where I could have uh, a good degree to fall back on. And then I wanted to go somewhere that was close to home so that I could go back um, to see my brother play while he was in high school. And then I wanted somewhere where my parents and grandparents could come watch me play. And then I wanted to also go somewhere um, that I would have the, uh, the chance to compete for a rotation spot as a freshman. Makes sense. You got you checked all the boxes right there. I like that you're a family guy, Ryan. I stayed in my house until I was 28 years old. <laughs> well, hey, you're saving money. Why are you laughing? No, because I'm thinking I'm doing the same. <laughs> Ryan, I'm doing the same. <laughs> You can follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Pepio too. And Ryan, I got to tell you, I heard a lot of great things about you when I was in Arizona at Camelback Ranch. What was the experience like for you? You've only had maybe a handful of games since being drafted by the Dodgers. It was a great experience. Uh, I mean, I mean, everyone I'm sure says their experience is great, but it was a real great learning experience for me. Um, just being around the guys, just being able to like watch Clayton Kershaw do things, David Price do things, Trevor Bauer do his things, Walker Buehler, all those guys who have been in the league for a while and who have been established studs and just being able to sit back and watch what they do and then pick their brains a little bit and ask them questions and just have meaningful conversations with guys that have been doing this for a long time so that I can pick up little things that they maybe did when they were younger that they wish they would have done differently later on or things that they added to their their routines that I can take as well to add to mine. You sound like a well-adjusted young man, and I'm curious, were you, were you intimidated to go up to Kershaw or Bueller or David Price to ask them something? Definitely. First few days, definitely. I was like, I just kind of stayed in the background for the first few days, kind of just watched and like let them do their thing. I didn't want to be, I was like, definitely had like the starstruck uh, eyes like the first few days. But after, after a couple of days, I was like, okay, like you're here, you belong here. You can do this. Like they're still people. You can say hi and you can talk to them. So after a couple of days, I was, I finally gave myself the courage and, uh, finally started talking to people and introducing myself and everything rather than just sitting back and watching from, from afar. Is there one thing that sticks out that you could share with us as far as a piece of advice you got from Kershaw? Um, I didn't really talk to him that much, so <laughs> I didn't really, I didn't get, he might um, growl at you. Lot. If you get too close, he'll growl. <laughs> no, but, um, <laughs> but from David Price, I, I would say like, he just told me to just be myself. And then just listen to everybody in the organization. We have the greatest, greatest organization in baseball. And then every, they want everything that's best for each and every one of us. So if they say something, they see something, take it and, and run with it. Hey, David Price seems like a real generous guy to young players, not only with his time, but were you one of the beneficiaries of what he did for Dodger minor league players last year? Yes, he's a generous guy and just a – awesome dude to be around like just genuine super nice guy like a great clubhouse guy just i mean you can't say enough about him yeah and, he, and he's a dog guy he's allergic to cats yeah. well you know i don't know how tony <laughs> feels about that one but I, that's not a question for me
Hey, Ryan, I don't think people realize it and quite grasp that you really have not had the classic experience after being drafted by a major league team with the pandemic hitting in 2020. You were drafted in 2019. You had nine games at Great Lakes. And then in 2020, absolutely nothing as far as competing against other minor league players. What was 2020 like for you? 2020 was uh, a... I. It's an, it was an interesting year, um, to say the least. It was, I was blessed to be able to have gone to the alternate site and throw in one of the summer camp games um, just to be able to have some sort of a season. Um, I mean, I hope we never have to go through an experience like that again, but I was definitely a beneficiary of being able to do that. Um, so it was kind of like a spring training type feel over at the alternate site, but it was the coaches there and staff there wanted to make it seem like it wasn't so that it wasn't like same thing over and over and over again for however long, two or three months it was. So it was, it was good to just being able to be out there. I mean, you can't beat sunny California in the summertime. So um, it was, it was a interesting season if you want to call it a season, but it was, I was glad to have been able to get some sort of, innings in for the year did you feel like you got better facing some of the other top minor league players in the dodger organization absolutely i mean when you're going out there every day and you're facing mckinstry hosey michael bush luke Rayleigh, dj peters devin mann jacob amaya i mean i could list the whole alternate site squad when it's you're going through the buzzsaw of the entire organization every day um, every fifth day so it was go every fifth day same lineup pretty much each time maybe a couple guys that were on on your side of the field uh, every other time but it was pretty much the same thing each each start and I mean they'd seen me multiple times I'd seen them multiple times so it was it was a it was a good fun battle every time we were out there all right Ryan you're a good pitcher and they're good players but even in the major leagues, there are certain hitters that just have a pitcher's number and vice versa. So who was the hitter that you had their number and what hitter had your number? Um, Luke Rayleigh took me about 450 feet a couple times, <laughs> like on top, on top of the parking garage. Um, um, I know you're a humble guy. What what guy do you yeah. feel like you had their number? Your teammates um, now. Your teammates, so it's all good. Teammates now, so it's all good. I would say um, I'm probably going to have to buy his next round of golf if he listens to this. So, uh, but it's Devin Mann. <laughs> oh, yeah, Devin Mann's on Twitter. He's an active Twitter guy. He might be yeah, listening. he's an active guy. So if he listens, then, I mean, uh, Devin, if you're listening, I have your next round of golf. I'm sorry. All right. I'll, I'll pay half of that round of golf because you're in my, in the minor <laughs> league still, Ryan. I'll, I'll help you out for, for getting you to be honest with your answer. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so fast forward to this spring training. I guess it was your first major league pitch in spring training in the Cactus League. Take us through getting ready for your first game and – you know, just your experience pitching in these games this spring. Well, first off, it was awesome to be able to be out there. And then on top of being out there, having people in the stands again, that was amazing. 
But, I mean, I was just out there. I mean, I think it was, like, first few games I got to throw, uh, one of the first few games I got to throw, and I was definitely nervous, um, definitely excited, um, amped up. If, and then, I mean, just go out there and just try to be myself and try not to do too much um, and just have fun. It's baseball. It's, uh, it's the same game I've been playing since I was a little kid. So I just, just on a little bit bigger stage. I've heard so much about your changeup. Where did you cultivate that changeup? Was that something that you found at Butler, or was it something you had in high school that you got better at Butler? I wish I had it in high school. It was something. <laughs> uh, it was something I had started to work on after my freshman summer, uh, summer going into my sophomore year of college. I played out in the New England College League, and I kind of got shelled a little bit just because I didn't have a changeup that was very very good so I just started messing around with different grips and playing long toss with it and trying to like hone it back in to get into 60 feet distance wise and I finally I found one that I, I liked that looked similar to how the fastball came out of my hand um, and then just kind of ran with it and it started to develop into what it is today. I've heard Kershaw talk about change-up envy. Is that a real thing where uh, for pitchers that can't throw the change-up or you're learning to throw the change-up, you have to continue to throw it to make it better? Absolutely. It's like um, it's, a, it's a feel pitch for sure. So it's like you just got to throw it and throw it and throw it until you feel something that, that makes sense or something that, something clicks. And would you say – in these games, in these spring training games, when you're getting ready to throw that changeup, you have a lot of conviction behind it. That's a big part of being effective with any pitch, right? Yes, correct. All right. Yeah. Don't don't want to tip your hand too much on the pitches, huh? No, you're good. No. <laughs> Ryan, it's been awesome to have you on. You're a real star. You set the bar high for any other minor leaguer that's coming on this podcast the rest of the regular season. So I just want to let you know, you have set the standard high. If Devin Mann is listening and he comes on this podcast, when he does come on this podcast, not only does he have to play around a golf with you and be reminded of your dominance against him at USC, but also he has to live up to the great answers that you gave today. Well, thank you very much for having me. I had a blast. All right. Do you want to give one, uh, one little nugget about Butler that we don't know about, or is that too, uh, too shock jock um, sports talk radio question? Um, <laughs> actually, if people didn't know, Butler does have a baseball team. We have other sports besides basketball. But, no, I mean, Butler's a great place, great school. So if anyone's looking to get out there, uh, go to a small school um, in the Midwest, um, I highly recommend Butler University. I have a feeling you're going to put Butler baseball on the map in Los Angeles. I think um, I think Butler baseball and the coaches would, would would enjoy having some guys from from Los Angeles. I know they have one guy from San Diego area, so you, we usually have one or two guys from California on the roster at a time. All right. Um, but hey, before you go, can I ask you something else? Of course. I'm just saying the Dodgers have found a way to put pitchers on their major league roster. If they're ready and they could help the major league team. Have you let your mind wander that way that maybe August, September, if your season goes well, that maybe 
the Dodgers may need you in the bullpen this year? Um, I would hope so, but there's a lot of things that I can't control that have to happen for that to happen. So I, I try not to think about it too much. Um, I can always hope and dream, but I'm not going to put too much of that in my mind space because I'm not the one who's making the decision for me to go up there. It's other people making that decision and I, I can't control what they do. Every pitch every day, right? Day by day, every pitch. Exactly. You said it. Live in the moment. That's what Rich Hill lives by, Pepio. You got to remember that. Rich Hill mantra, live uh, in the moment. I have to. You have to live in the moment. You look too far forward and you lose sight of what's going on in the present. Damn right, Pepio. I like that. I like that. Thanks a lot for coming on. Uh, we'll keep in touch. No, thank it, you for having me. Sounds great. Do you feel like I'm a person you want to keep in touch with after this interview? Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I appreciate that. You're a great guy. No so I wish you all the best for sure. Thank you very much. There he goes. Ryan Pepio, our first guest on the Dodger pipeline segment right here on the extra innings podcast warning to every other Dodger minor leaguer that I come calling for. He may have been the best interview of any minor leaguer I've ever talked to. He is a uh, really a great kid and I mean, obviously, easy to root for. And as you heard on our first episode, Mark Pryor said that there is nothing that would stop the Dodgers from having a guy like Pepio or Nick Robertson or Bobby Miller come up to the major leagues this season if they can help the Dodgers win. So I would keep my eye on what Pepio does once the minor league season begins and whether or not the Dodgers need some bullpen help because... I feel like uh, right now it's it's good for, for the first month or two, but as you know, the pieces always change to the puzzle, and Andrew Friedman is really good at moving those pieces, so Ryan Pepio might be a guy that you want to keep tabs on, and you can follow him on Twitter, at RyanPepio2. My thanks to Andre Ethier and Ryan Pepio, who you may see at the end of this season at some point coming out of the Dodger bullpen. So thanks to those guys. I hope you enjoyed the podcast this week. We'll be back with you with episode three next Wednesday. Now, before we go, thanks to our guy, producer, engineer, Dwayne the Note McDonald, sometimes known as Dwayne Squeeze Time McDonald. He gave us our... Neato stat of the week. Sorry, Ernie Johnson. Stole it for this week. Sorry. The Dodgers have led the National League in home runs in each of the last three seasons. The last National League team to do that were the Rockies, the Blake Street Bombers, 95 to 97. The last team to lead the National League in home runs for four consecutive years was your Los Angeles Dodgers, who did it for five straight years from 1977 to 1981, which, by the way, the Dodgers are celebrating their 40th anniversary of that 81 championship. And if you remember, in 1977, the start of that five consecutive years of leading the National League in home runs, the Dodgers were the first team ever in baseball history to have a quartet of teammates hit 30 home runs in the same season. 
Do you know who those four were? Dusty Baker, Reggie Smith, Ron Say, and Steve Garvey. By the way, Dusty hit his 30th on the final day of the regular season against the Houston Astros. That'll do it for us for another great week of Extra Innings. We'll be back with you with Episode 3 on next Wednesday. Thanks to Corona Extra. Find the fine life. Live la vida mas fina. Please drink responsibly. Corona Extra Beer. We don't have to do anything extra. They've made a choice. This has been the Extra Innings Podcast. Extra Dodger content for Dodger fans who can't get enough of the blue. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't miss a single Dodger game at AM570LA Sports on the iHeartRadio app.